Thank you for joining us today. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you're about to watch is from our series, Life Marks, Evidence of a Life with Jesus. At Hope, we exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. This series is designed to help you do exactly that. If you're joining us for the first time, I wanna be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Amen. Amen, amen. Well, again, good morning to you, Hope Church family. If you have a Bible, go and open it to Acts chapter 9. We're going to jump right in today. Acts chapter 9, whether you brought a physical Bible or you have it there on your app, we're going to be there in just a moment. Whether you are here for the first time or you've been here for several years, you need to know you are a part of a gathering today of a, of a church family that has a very clear mission. We've been talking about that over the last several weeks, the first few weeks of this new year. Here's the mission, and hopefully you know it. And if you don't know it, you get to know it because we say it all the time, and this is what we're aiming to do. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. I'm just going to give a disclaimer. If you are just jumping into this series, I encourage you to go back the last couple weeks. We've been really digging into this and unpacking what it means to live the life of a Jesus follower. But I'll just give 30 seconds of a recap. We believe a Jesus follower's life is all about relationships. Specifically, we have three relationships as Jesus followers. We have a relationship with God. We have a relationship with other followers of Jesus. And we have a relationship with people that don't know God at all. And so we've been digging into what it looks like, but I, I shared for the first week and I'll share again. This fall, we're going to really dive deep into several weeks of unpacking the life of a Jesus follower. But suffice to say, we believe a Jesus follower abides in Christ, connects in community, and shares in the mission. And so the question that we've been asking now for several years is what would it look like practically if that were to actually be lived out in somebody's life. Like if a Jesus follower were to really live the life of a Jesus follower and their relationship with God, with other followers of Jesus and with the world that doesn't know Christ, what would be the evidence of a life that is lived like a Jesus follower? Here's what we've discovered. We put this on the screen the last few weeks. We believe that becoming the kind of people who abide in Christ, connect in community and share in the mission will result in certain things that mark our lives. If you are living this thing out, there's some evidence of a life with Jesus. That's why we've been in this series, Life Marks. Evidence of a life with Jesus. We have taken the life of Jesus follower, a relationship with God, a relationship with other followers of Jesus, and a relationship with the world that doesn't know him. And we've, we've actually identified 15 qualities and characteristics in a Jesus follower's life that we're saying these things should, should mark your life. These things should be evidence of your life with Jesus. We know there's a lot more than that for our context here at Hope Church. We've identified 15. And, and what we're going to do at the beginning of the, every year for the next several years is, is highlight three of those life marks that you're going to see all throughout our church all year long. So again, hopefully you've been here the last couple weeks. If not, go back online. But we gave you at the beginning of this year the life marks for 2024. 
we said that in our abiding relationship with Jesus, something that should mark our lives is loving and living in God's word. You can go back and listen to that message if you missed it. We said that in our connecting relationship with other followers of Jesus, Pastor Trenton did a great job last week teaching that something that should mark our lives is serving our church, serving your church. If this is your church family, something that should mark your life should be you using your gifts and abilities to serve the body of Christ here called Hope Church. And then on the table for us today, talking about that sharing relationship with the people that don't know God at all, is sharing your story. Preparing and living ready to share the gospel and how Jesus changed your life with the people that do not know him. This is, this is evidence that I am sharing in the mission, is that I would be prepared and ready to, to share the gospel and share my story. I, I think you would agree with me. Stories are powerful. In fact, everything in our lives is really based around story. If you think about it, every piece of entertainment is a story. Every relationship you have has a story. In fact, every single day that we live our lives, we are actually living out our story, the story of us. We're making up our story as every day of our lives turns. I believe we were actually created for story by the great storytelling God who is an amazing storyteller. We have a big part of his story right here in our hands with the word of God. He is the creator and sustainer of the universe. And then the, the rebellion that happened in the garden and then the fact that he came to, to redeem all of mankind and then the story that hasn't happened yet but will one day is when Jesus comes back in the consummation of all things and makes all things new again. That's a story that we have access to through the word of God. He's a storytelling God. Stories are powerful. They, they grab our attention. They make us feel things. Whether that's a, a tale from a grandparent or a movie on a screen, stories have incredible influence. They're not just entertainment. They're tools that, that I believe and I think you believe can actually change our lives. So that's why it's important as we dive into sharing our story, why we, we get around this idea and we start to live this out. So what I want to do this morning, very simply, is I want to read an incredible story out of the book of Acts chapter 9. It's a story about a man named Saul. Maybe some of you have heard it. But it's the story of how Saul comes to know Jesus. But what I want to say just from the jump is this is not just a one-time thing that God did exclusively in Acts chapter 9. What I want us to see today is God is in the business of changing stories. He's not just doing it once here and then we never see him do it again. No, if we had time this morning, we could actually pass a microphone around and there could be stories shared, all diverse stories of how God radically changed our lives. And so what I want to do is, is, yes, look at a radical story of life change out of Acts chapter 9, but I want to inspire you and hopefully motivate you that you shouldn't just love the fact that God changed your story. Because of these, the fact that he's changed your story, you and I should become storytellers. So Acts chapter 9, if you're ready for some word of God, say, I'm ready. Amen. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 1, look at what God's word says. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priests and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to 
Jerusalem. Okay, pause right there. We have to talk about this man, Saul. In order to fully understand and feel the weight of this story, we need to understand this man, Saul. Who is Saul? We learn from other parts of Scripture. Maybe you knew this, but this man is mostly known in the world as the Apostle Paul. So you're thinking, okay, why is his name Saul and Paul? Does he have two names? What is the deal with Saul and Paul? And in the first century, it actually wasn't that uncommon to have two names. Very weird for us here, but not in the first century. In fact, we learn from, from history that Saul was his Hebrew name and Paul was his Roman name, which makes a lot of sense if you know Paul's story. His primary ministry was to the Gentiles, so the primary way we've heard about him is Paul because that's his Gentile name. But what we're learning here is when Saul or Paul meets Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is going to change this man's life. Theologians have called this potentially one of the greatest events in human history other than the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Why? Because of the incredible influence that Saul has had on our world. After this encounter with Jesus, we know that he writes 13 books in the New Testament. Most of the letters in the New Testament are written by the apostle Paul. He plants churches all over the place and multiplies disciples by disciples by disciples. And in many ways, we are in this room today because of what we're reading right here in Acts chapter 9. The incredible influence the Spirit of God had through one man named Saul. But before this fateful day on the road to Damascus, the Bible tells us that Saul was a very religious man. In fact, Acts chapter 22 talks about him studying under the most, the most respected Jewish rabbi of the day, a man named Gamaliel. He was the most respected Jewish rabbi and Saul was under his tutelage. The next chapter, Acts chapter 23, tells us that he was in fact a Pharisee himself. Now, if you've been studying Mark with us, we're jumping back into our verse-by-verse -verse study of the Gospel of Mark next week. We've talked a lot about Pharisees over the last couple of years. What are Pharisees? Pharisees are these religious rulers who knew the law and laid it down. They didn't have any time for any funny business when it comes to their religion. They knew exactly what they believe and they wanted to make sure if you're not following those rules, we're going to impose them on you. Who they were was based on how they performed. This is this man, Saul. Now into that context, Jesus Christ steps into human history and he comes with a very different message. You may have known that Jesus says things like, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden with all this religion. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. He even says something so audacious as, as I am the way, the truth, and the life. So here, in that context, we understand why verse one says what verse one says. Saul is breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Maybe you're not tracking, why? Like, why can't you just leave them alone, Paul or Saul? The reason why is because he hated this message. I mean, if you think about it, it's an affront to everything he's built his life on. He has dedicated so much time to memorizing most of the Old Testament. So he hears this new message that's spreading like wildfire and it is a complete affront to everything he has built his life on. Make it real for your, for your own life. Think about, think about the things that you've worked hard for. Saul has worked his entire life to get to where he is and out of nowhere seemingly, 
this new gospel message is spreading like wildfire that says that salvation can come by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone without any work of your own. Paul understood if this Christianity thing is real, I've been literally crawling up a ladder that I'm going to find out is leaning against the wrong wall. And he hated it. In fact, the first time we see the Apostle Paul or Saul is in Acts chapter 7, just a couple chapters before our study today. And the, the first Christian martyr, a man named Stephen, is literally being killed for his faith in Christ. People are throwing rocks at him to kill him. And so that they can get a harder throws and have a little bit more range of motion, the Bible says they take off their jackets and they lay them at the feet of a young man named Saul. He's watching a Christian be murdered before his eyes and approving of it. He hated followers of Jesus. So on this faithful day in Acts 9, he goes to do away with them. I'm going to Damascus to exterminate these followers of the way of Jesus. Let's pick the story up in verse 3. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. So Paul's on his way to Damascus. He has passion. He has a plan. And out of nowhere, the, the risen Savior, King Jesus, knocks him down and says, why are you persecuting me? Notice he doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He says, why are you persecuting me? Because as you persecute God's people, he by his spirit comes to live in his people. So by persecuting his people, you're actually persecuting him. He says, I am Jesus. I love this. Yes, Paul, the rumors are true. It's not just these crazy Christians saying I rose from the dead. I did, in fact, rise from the dead. I'm now seated on my throne speaking to you, Saul. Go into the city and I will tell you what to do. The next few verses, Paul is, is blinded, taken by the hand to Damascus. Imagine this. He's going with passion and with a plan to do, to do, his, to do his part in, in exterminating the followers of Jesus. And now, very different circumstances. He's headed into that same city, now being led by hand because he's blind and helpless. Skip down to verse 10. We meet a new character in the story. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. We don't know much about this man, Ananias, except what the text says is that he is a disciple. He is a follower of this way. And I want you to just think of the humanity right now of Ananias. We don't know what he's doing. He's hanging out with his kids. He's doing work for his trade. He's taking a nap. I don't know what he was doing. And out of nowhere, the risen King Jesus says, hey, Ananias, I need you to do something for me. I need you to go pray for and heal and minister to Saul. I don't know what name you would need to fill in the blank in your life to, to feel the weight of that, the, the terrorist of your choice, whatever it may be. Like, this is the furthest thing that Ananias wants to do, I promise you. Like, that Saul, the, the Saul, God, that, that is wanting to, to murder my family, 
the, the, the Saul that, that is wreaking havoc on all of these new followers of Jesus. So, so Saul or Ananias does exactly what every single one of us would do. Look at verse 13. I love this. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he is. Done. Listen, I, we got to be careful not to read emotion into the word of God. But here's what I think that means. Uh, what? <laughs> Lord, I, I know exactly who Saul is. Are you sure you got the right guy? Look at verse 15. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Wow. Think about this, church. This man who is an enemy of the way of Jesus, the sovereign God of heaven just called him a chosen instrument of his. That challenged me this week. What if, we, what if we started looking at people in our lives, not like the people they are now, but the people they could be? What I'm trying to say is that sometimes the chosen instruments of God for the future look like the furthest thing from God right now. What if we looked at our coworkers and our neighbors, that prodigal child that right now you think, God, I know you're a God of miracles, but I don't know about this one. Saul is a prime candidate for, I don't know about this one. And yet God says here, he's a chosen instrument mine. Despite Ananias's doubt and confusion, the text says he is a disciple and disciples obey. So skip down to verse 17. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately Something like scales fell from his eyes. He regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. Look at verse 20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. If you need a little glimpse into the kind of personality type Saul was, just look at those verses. This man is blind, he gets healed. Brother Saul, I love that, that Ananias just trusts in the sovereignty of God to say, this is, this is my brother because of what Jesus has done in his life. He may have been my enemy a few hours ago, but by God's grace, he's now my brother. Saul is healed, and I love this, because of his personality, he's healed, he gets some food to strengthen him up, and he immediately goes and tells people about Jesus. This is a man that's about to change the world by the Spirit of God in and through him. This is an incredible story. I often revisit Acts chapter 9 just to, to show in my own life the, the power of God. But I hope you remember what I said earlier. This is not an exclusive account of what God did one time. He is in the story-changing business. So as this story is our foundation, seeing the power of God to be a story-changer, I want to shift our focus from Saul to us. To do that, I want to give us two truths about our story. Two truths about our story. Here's the first one. Every Jesus follower has a radical story of life change. Every Jesus follower has a radical story. Listen, God changed Paul's life in a miraculous way. But here's the deal. I want you to feel this by the time you walk out of the room later. If you're a follower of Jesus, he has radically changed your story as well. I'm looking at some of your faces and I know what you're thinking. Yes, God, but like, not like that. <laughs> that is like, I kind of wish I had that story. That, that's like a miracle story. It is. 
but so is yours. See, when I was a student pastor here at Hope, for the first few years of me serving as pastor here, uh, I began to develop a little pet peeve in student ministry. I'm going to share with you my pet peeve this morning. Here's the pet peeve. Mainly from, from students, 6th to 12th grade, who had, who had grown up in the church. And praise God, their, their parents had, had raised them in the, the fear and admonition of the Lord. And, and they came to me at some point in their lives and they would say something like this. Here's my pet peeve. Scott, I just don't really have a good testimony. That's a pet peeve of mine. Don't ever tell me that or I'm going to give you a little sermon right there in that moment, okay? I, I, just, I just don't really have a good story. And part of this is, is at the fault of the, of the church, not just Hope Church, but, but the, the big C, the global church, because a lot of times we've only sensationalized the, the really, really radical down and out stories so that people who don't have that think, I don't really have a great story. So I wanna, I wanna debunk the myth a little bit with you today and show you that every Jesus follower has a radical story of life change. Listen, I don't know all the details of your story, but the word of God actually makes it very clear what happened to every single Jesus follower. That's right, I wanna show you from one of my favorite passages of scripture exactly what happened to you if you are a follower of Jesus in the building. Ephesians chapter two, verses one through five. This is your story, Jesus follower, and my story. And you were, what's that next word? Dead, whoa. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Wow. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And you were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. If you're like, I got a little lost in all that. Here's the deal. You were dead and had absolutely no hope to change it. Helpless. And if that was the end of the story and the end of the passage, that would be a real bummer deal for every single human being on the planet. But praise God, the verse continues. Even though you were a child of wrath, even though you were dead in your trespasses and sins, the best two words in all the Bible, but God. Man, I, you need to underline that, circle that, get it tattooed on you, something. Because if nothing else but God in your life, he changed your life. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved. Notice who's in charge here. You weren't like, I just need to turn over a new leaf. No, 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 no. There's a sovereign person in charge that, that came into your life unbeknownst to you and, and gave you mercy you didn't deserve and grace you couldn't earn. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. We get it, Paul. We're dead. He made us alive together with Christ. How beautiful this phrase is, by grace. You have been saved. Listen, if you are a believer in the place today, if you're a follower of Jesus, that is your story. You were dead, but God made you alive. This is an unbelievable story. Let me ask you a question. What can dead people do? Nothing. Boastful Christians about how great they are, they need to reread Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. You were dead. You had no hope. So what happened? The all-powerful, eternal, loving King of Kings chose me, chose you, Jesus follower, little old you. You're not worthy of that, but his grace is sufficient. And he came into my life like he did in Paul. He set his heart on me from eternity past, and he said, that one is mine. He saved you by his grace. Listen, so when we say, I don't really have a good story, 
We undermine what God has done in his grace. Listen, don't boast about this, but praise God about this. Right now, you're a walking resurrection, Jesus follower. That's good news. You're a walking resurrection. Here's what I want us to see. I want to challenge you with this. Don't misrepresent God's grace by minimizing your story. Don't misrepresent the grace that God gave you to save you by minimizing your story. The God of heaven stepped into human history, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sin, absorbing all of, your, all of God's wrath that should be on you. Three days later, he rose again. Why? To give you life. To give me life. I've shared this story many times. If you're new, it happened for me right before I turned 17 years old. I'm 16 years old. I'm growing up here in the city of Las Vegas. And I love my family, great family. But I didn't grow up hearing about Jesus. I didn't grow up hearing the gospel and, and walking through what a lot of my, my kids now are walking through. A lot of your kids are walking through. Man, my life revolved around skateboarding, playing punk rock music, and rooting for the Dallas Cowboys. Which is just embarrassing at this point, Okay. It was all great a couple weeks ago and we were still in it. Not so great now. That was my life. So my buddy, just one of my best friends invited me to a church service. I've never been to church. I go and by the way, I just have a lot of grace. If you're here today for the first time, that's the first time you've ever been in church. It's weird. Okay, I, I feel you. First time I went to church, I'm like, this is weird. <laughs> Strange things going on. I don't really understand. You'll, you'll understand. The spirit of God will reveal it to you, I promise. Because for nine months, I just sat there. Leaning in, understanding but not understanding. Now I know that was the spirit of God drawing me in. I went to a summer camp right before my senior year of high school. And the gospel was preached. The fact that Jesus paid my sin, rose again from the dead to give me life. Life to the full. And in that moment, it might have looked like a summer camp auditorium, but that was my road to Damascus. And Jesus saved me. That was 20 years ago last summer. Praise God. That's amazing grace. Listen. A couple months ago, a couple months later, I meet an amazing young woman. I've been with her now for 20 years, my wife Candace. Candace has a very different story than me. She grew up not in a perfect family, but in a family that highlighted Jesus. And so she grew up going to vacation Bible school and, and, and student camp and watching VeggieTales. I didn't know what a VeggieTale was. Some of you guys have no idea what VeggieTales is. Don't worry about it. My wife knew. And her story is literally from when she's like six years old. Amazing. She's like six years old and she has genuine affection for Jesus. And here's the deal. There'd be some people, maybe even this room, that would say, oh, man, yeah, Scott's got a little better story because he was like living in that punk scene for a while, probably did some damage and then had to get rescued from that. He has a better story than Candace does. No, 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 listen, that minimizes God's grace. Candace was dead. I was dead. Paul was dead. And in his grace, he gave us all life. He did it differently, but all of us have an amazing story. Listen, Paul's story, amazing grace. Candace's story, amazing grace. Scott's story, amazing grace. Jesus' follower, no matter what it looks like, your story, amazing grace. Listen, we all were born spiritually in the same place. I'll say it this way before we move on. Jesus doesn't save by making bad people good. He saves by making dead people alive. Listen, if there was bad and good, we could talk about some sort of grading system. That's not how it works. We're all dead. And we need to be raised to life. Praise God, Jesus does that. If you're a Christian, whether you were 6, 16, or 60. Listen, my grandfather gave his life to Christ on his deathbed, saved by amazing grace. I can't wait to see him in heaven one day. Because he, he lived a life that was always bent away from Jesus. But God saved him right before he went to heaven. Praise God, amazing grace. But that same amazing grace is who saved you if you were 6 years old. 
Every Jesus follower has a radical story of life change. Here's the second truth. Every Jesus follower has a radical story to share. Every Jesus follower has a radical story of life change. And every Jesus follower has a radical story to share. Listen, you did not start your story. God chose you. You did not choose him. But we are responsible to share our story, to steward what God has done. That's why we call this a life mark, an evidence that I'm walking with Jesus, an evidence that I'm, that I'm living out this, this sharing relationship in my life with people that don't know God is I'm going to be a teller of the amazing grace that God gave me to save me. That's what we see in the text. Look at verse 20 again. Paul immediately begins to proclaim Jesus. Listen, I hope you've heard today and you're convinced. You have an incredible story of life change. But God gave you your very specific story. Listen, we're all saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. There is no other way to salvation. But God has a lot of diversity in how he lets that play out in our lives. He didn't have to. Think about it. God is, is sovereign. I hope you've heard that today. He's sovereign. But he could have saved us all exactly the same, right? Like, it's just easier uh, when they turn 12 years old, saved. 12, saved. 12, that's not how he does it, right? There's a diversity in how he does it. Why? Because God gives us uniqueness in our story so that we can be used of him to talk about people and to share with people that need the uniqueness of our story. Listen, you give me a punk rock loving skateboarding Dallas Cowboy fan, give me 10 minutes with that kid. I'm about to lead him to Jesus. <laughs> But that might not be the same with somebody who grew up in the church. They may need to talk to my wife, Candace, or whatever your story is. God saved you out of drug addiction and, and jail time or whatever. Listen, I'm going to say, I need you to talk to my friend who understands your story. God saves us the way he saves us. By grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Rest assured, it's all him. But he gives us diversity. Why? So that we can have a story to share. I mean, even think of Paul. You think, why did God wait to save Paul in Acts chapter 9? Like, imagine if Paul was one of the 12 disciples. He'd be making Peter look bad. But he didn't. Why? Because he was sleeping on Paul's salvation? No, God wasn't like, oh, here's this guy, Paul. I, I might want to save him. He looks like a go-getter. No, God is sovereign. He saved him when he saved him for a purpose. And actually, Paul tells us why. This is amazing. He's writing a letter to his young protege, Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15. This, I love how the New Living put it. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Amen. And I am the worst of all. Here's that line that Paul loves. But God had mercy on me. Why? So that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of this great patience with even the worst of sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Listen, Paul is saying, guys, if God can save me, the one who was literally trying to exterminate his followers, if God can save me, listen, he had great patience. God can save anybody. God can do whatever it is he desires. Listen, he saved you when he saved you on purpose to give you a story. What I want us to see is we... Round third and head home. It's not just the good parts of your story, church. It's all of your story. Just like Paul, God can actually redeem the, the messy parts. I love that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul the apostle, like I said, he's, he's written half the New Testament, a verse that you probably heard that 
The pen of Paul, the apostle, wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things. Uh, did that say spiritual things? No. Does that say things that you'd be comfortable sharing in church? No. All things means all things. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purposes. Listen, your sin, your failures, your messy parts that you would not ever want to be shared in this room, those are not exempt from the all things category. God actually wants to use all things in his grace and sovereignty for his glory and your good. And all throughout the New Testament, Paul does this. Students of the Bible know this. He's constantly reaching back. Man, let me tell you what God rescued me out of. Let's look at one of them, just a couple verses earlier than what we already read, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. This is Paul. Though formerly I was a, a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. Wow. But I received mercy. Because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I want you to hear this so clearly, Jesus follower. Your sin is not separate from your story, but it's also not central to your story. Listen, you don't talk about just how bad you were. No, listen, I was bad, but let me tell you how good God was. Despite how bad I was, he saved me. Like Paul, he had mercy even on me. So when we tell our story, when Paul tells his story, we're not highlighting our sin. We're highlighting Jesus who is greater than our sin. It's, it's, it's not separate from your story, but it's not central to your story either. All throughout history, God uses incredibly broken people and all of their story to point to Jesus and his ability to save despite our sin. I'm going to give us a biblical reality. And you just got to know all the people that I'm about to list are really famous people with a lot of mess. But God is good and used him anyways. Look at this. Joseph was abused. Job was bankrupt. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Moses had a speech problem. Rahab was a prostitute. David was a murderous adulterer. Jonah was a coward. Noah was a drunk. Peter was a liar. And Paul was a mass murderer. God specializes in using broken people to do powerful things. Amen. And I want to encourage you to add your name to this list and say, Scott was what but God. God wants to use you in your story, church, because every follower of Jesus has a radical story of life change and every follower of Jesus has a radical story to share. So here's how I want to close. I want to make this really practical. How do we take this and begin to live this out? How do we begin to be storytellers? First thing I want to invite you to is, is a place that we want to equip you with. It's a workshop that we're actually hosting here in, in about a week. About a week and some chains. Every person at Hope, I'm inviting them to, to join us for this workshop. Oh, there it is. It's on the screen. January 30th, we're going to invite you to, to understand and be equipped to share the powerful story that God has given you. So it's going to be on our app. It'll be on our website. It's right here. It's going to stay up on the screen for a little bit. I would love if every person at Hope Church, I don't know how we would hold it. I don't know where we would have that event, but praise God for that beautiful problem. If every person at Hope Church said, yes, I understand, this should mark my life, I want to, I want to be equipped on how to share my story. We're going to hopefully equip hundreds, if not thousands of people at Hope Church to be equipped to share your story. But here's another couple practical ways that I've, I've been able to do this in my own life to some extent, and, and hopefully you will too. I'll frame it up this way. 
you and I can have intentional gospel conversations. Intentional gospel conversations with your neighbor, with your lost coworker, with somebody in your life that doesn't know Jesus. You intentionally say, hey, can we go out to lunch? Can we get coffee? I'd love to tell you my story. And here's a really simple three-step way over the years we've, we've talked about sharing our story. Here it is. The first one is just my life before Jesus. You just start telling them like Paul did. Man, let me tell you about before I met Jesus, let me just tell you my life. Remember, your, your sin is not separate, but it's not central. Because the next step is how Jesus saved you. Despite your sin, despite your mess, I, I want to tell you how Jesus saved my life. I already told you in mine and even in this message. I was a punk rock loving skateboarding Dallas Cowboy fan. That was my life before Jesus. Then I went to a summer camp. And in that summer camp auditorium, it became my road to Damascus. And Jesus saved me. And then the third step is, man, what I've seen him do in my life since. He says it. He gives life and life abundantly. It has not been rainbows and butterflies, but he's had me the whole time. I'm looking back at 20 years of God doing exactly what he said he would do. And that's give me life. See how I did that like 30 seconds? <laughs> Who you were before Jesus. How he saved you. And what you've seen him do since. Hey, what's your story? And then you have a conversation. You get to introduce them to Jesus. This is how, imagine if Hope Church started living this way. That lost people, imagine if I started living this way. Let's really do this. Because this should be something that marks our lives. So it's intentional gospel conversations, but there's a second one. I'll call it impromptu gospel conversations. I want to equip you with this as well. Some of you have seen this little bracelet that I have on my wrist. I've been wearing it since I, I got it back in uh, India when Pastor Tom and I were on a mission trip to India last fall. And it's just a, a simple gospel bracelet. It's got five pictures on it or six pictures on it. And it, it actually tells the story of the gospel. So impromptu conversations is as you're checking out at Starbucks or as you're picking your kid up at the pickup line or as you're doing self-checkout at Smith's and somebody goes, what's up with the bracelet? You can have an impromptu gospel conversation. If you look at these, these little pictures and you don't really know how to explain it, listen, we're going to equip you. We're going to send out some videos and stuff this week that can actually help you walk in three minutes. If somebody says that to you, say, hey, do you, have, do you have a few minutes? I'll actually share with you what this says. And you actually walk them through the fact that God's an incredible creator. But we took what he created and we rebelled against him. But Jesus stepped in to, to, to win us back and to redeem us and rose again from the dead to give us life. And so now we can actually have a friendship relationship with God through Christ. You can share that with somebody as you're getting your latte at Starbucks. This is an impromptu gospel conversation. Listen, I got fired up this week thinking about myself and the pastors and the team here and everyone at Hope Church actually beginning to tell their story. Maybe some of you are thinking, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I don't know how to do that. What if they ask a question I don't know? Honestly, I'm too busy. What if... God puts it on your heart to share with somebody that you just don't like. To be honest with you, God, I don't want them to meet Jesus. Let's be honest. And if you're thinking that, I just want to draw your attention back to Ananias. Ananias could have given every single excuse in the book. My safety? It's a guy who wants to kill me, Lord. I don't like him. I know friends of mine that are in prison today or dead because of this man. And I got stuff going on. I'm trying to follow you, Jesus. Don't be getting in my way by asking me to tell this Saul guy about you. <laughs> think about Ananias maybe this week. And think, if Ananias could do it, why not me? An evidence, church. An evidence that we are sharing in the mission with people that do not know the Lord. Is that we would prepare and live ready to share the gospel and how Jesus changed our lives. Let's pray together this morning.
God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how it teaches. Thank you for how you speak. I pray as we respond for just a few moments that you would help us. Help us, Lord. Help us obey you. Help us listen to your spirit as we respond. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, I would just encourage you. I hope you've heard today what he's done for you. To invite you into a friendship with him. In just a few moments, I mentioned I'm under the weather, so I'm not going to be down here. But some of our pastors will be down here. If you need to talk to somebody about what it looks like to follow Jesus, we would love to talk to you about what that looks like. I believe today, this morning, January 21st, could be some people's road to Damascus right here at 850 Cactus Avenue. And that's the story you'll tell. Man, I went to this church service, and it may have looked like a church service, but it was my road to Damascus, and I met him there. He saved me in my seat. If you're a follower of Jesus today, I just want to let the Holy Spirit fill in the blanks. Who's that person? Who's that relationship you have where the Lord's already been putting them on your heart, man, this week I need to sit them down and have a conversation. Maybe you just want to grab one of these wristbands on your way out and say, God, lead me to have an impromptu gospel conversation. Speak through my mouth because I don't got all the answers, Lord. I may stumble my way through it, but what if somebody met Jesus this week because you bought a latte and had a conversation with somebody about a wristband you were wearing? Praise God. Listen, that's how the kingdom spread, church. The kingdom didn't spread by a bunch of people coming to hear one preacher speak. The kingdom spread by a bunch of disciples living out their faith on mission and talking to other people about what God did in their lives, and it spread to the fact that you're in this room today. That's how the kingdom grows, and we want to be about expanding it further and further by God's grace. So Jesus, however you're leading people right now, as we stand to sing, would you just allow us in this moment to worship you and to follow you in obedience. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.